take some time to sign and uh, put a little message of encouragement on that, and it will be reprinted and given to each department that re is represented that day. All right, thanks for doing that. That's going to be awesome. All right, you know what? We already prayed. I get so excited about getting to lesson that I just completely forgot about that, as, as I said. Um, you know, we've been talking about Ruth and just what God promised, God did, and it couldn't have turned out any better had somebody tried to plan it themselves. It's a beautiful love story. And we've been watching as these events unfold. And God was very purposeful in placing her, we talked about last week, in the right place at the right time. You know, the word says that she happened on the field of Boaz. And he happened to be there. And he happened to notice uh, Ruth. But you know what? We know that God is in the hap. God was in the happen. And as it turned out, uh, here is Ruth meeting her, her future husband face-to-face -face in an encounter that was, um, that was ordained. And it was a wonderful thing that we see. And, you know, God is always drawing us to him. I see God drawing Boaz and Ruth's heart together. And this would be the very man who would redeem her, and she had a face-to-face -face encounter with her. He was going to save her, deliver her, rescue and liberate, release, recover, and restore her. That's what a kinsman redeemer does. But see, God is also drawing us, isn't he? And he is drawing us to a face-to-face -face encounter with our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, who saves us, delivers us, rescues, liberates, releases us, recovers us, and restores us. And a big word that we're going to be talking about today is restore. Restore. So just remember that. So Boaz, in chapter 2, actually speaks a blessing over her. And I kind of had to laugh because um, little did he know that he was going to be part of this blessing and the, his part in it. So he speaks to Ruth, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord, here's the blessing, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And we showed that beautiful picture of a mama bird with wings completely covering, protecting, and rescuing those little baby chicks. But you know what? Little did Boaz know that he himself was going to be a part of that rich reward. And I think that's just kind of cool that um, it was almost like God just turned it full circle. But see, Boaz was determined to follow God's commands concerning widows. As we know, Ruth was a, a widow, and Naomi was also a widow, her mother-in-law. And let's go to Deuteronomy 24:19, just PowerPoint. And this is, the, this is what Boaz was acting on, because he was a godly man. He didn't have to, but this is what was said um, uh, in Deuteronomy, that when you're gathering crops in your field, you might leave some grain behind by mistake. It's like... On purpose, but it looks like by mistake. Don't go back to get it. Leave it for the outsiders and the widows. So 
Boaz was taking care of Ruth based on this scripture. Leave it for children whose fathers have died. Then the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Boaz was a blessed man. And I have a feeling this isn't the first time that he went out of his way to bless um, outsiders and widows. And so Boaz takes care of two widows with Ruth and Naomi. And he also... Uh, saw the rich reward in his life personally. But, you know, we talked a lot about God is very pleased that when we take care of our own flesh and blood. Just, just uh, I guess, a personal note on that. Um, I had arranged my whole week so that uh, Wednesday, yesterday, I would have time to just sit in the Word and, and get this um, study, you know, completely finished in my heart and on paper and, and prepare. And I got word that my mother fell. And she, as, you, as, as I shared before, she's in assisted living. So I'm thinking, oh, the doctors go take care of her. She'll be fine. Or do I go take care of my own flesh and blood? And so all my plans had to be put aside. And I went and I stayed with her because she was very upset. I was there when the doctor came. We took an x-ray, just got the news this morning, no fractures, but she's in a lot of pain. So, you know, she needed help and she needed encouragement and she needed someone there just to be with her. And you know what? It was so worth it. So am I so prepared this morning? Probably not. But is that okay? Because I, 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 I said, Lord, it's like the fig with the fig tree. When Jesus saw that fig tree and you know the story, he cursed it. And you think, that's weird. Why did he curse it? It's because it didn't have any fruit. Because when the um, fig tree's leaves are full on the tree, there's supposed to be fruit underneath. And so when Jesus went to eat from the fig tree, there wasn't any fruit there. And he cursed it. And the next day, it had withered from the roots up, which that's not how things die. you know. So the disciples recognized and said, wow. How did that happen? But why, 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 what is the significance of that? Well, you know what? We can do, say that we're um, serving God, and I can work hard in ministry, and I can do lots of things, you know, that are good for the kingdom. But the fruit, if that's missing, all it is are empty works. If I don't take care of my family, if I don't, take time to minister to my own family first. And so I wanted fruit with my leaves yesterday, and I made a choice. And it wasn't an easy choice because, you know, we're all busy. We all have many, many different ways to use our time. But you know what? My own, um, the, the thing that God was ministering to us last week became very real to me yesterday. So I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit as we go forward here. So here's Boaz. Um, taking care of two widows. Here's another wonderful scripture on that. James 1.27 says, Here are the kinds of beliefs that God our Father accepts as pure and without fault. When widows and children who have no parents are in trouble, take care of them. That is pure in the, in the sight of God. I'm just going to challenge you to ask God, is there anybody I know, widow or fatherless children, that I can be a blessing to? And just ask God to show you if there's someone in your life that you can bless. That, in, in, in God's eyes, is pure and without fault. So, Father, show us something that we can do to be a blessing in those people's lives. So we pick up at the end of um, verse, or 12, uh, sorry, 
chapter 2, and she has just come home. She met Boaz. Um, he promotes her to uh, be able to work with the workers and not just with the poor people who are, who are just picking up the leftovers. And then he just loads her up with blessings. And they have this encounter all day long. And Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, um, so where did you work today? And she says, well, I happened into the field of a man named Boaz, and he has shown us favor. And, of course, Naomi, as a light bulb goes off, why, Boaz is one of our rich relatives. And so now God is, is um, going to use this relationship, as we know. And Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not ceased his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man is a near relative of ours, one who has the right to redeem us. The right to redeem us. And that was the, the law that a kinsman would be able to redeem a family member if they needed help. All right, so let's go to um, begin reading in chapter 3. We're going to go through chapter 3 and 4 today and finish this beautiful love story. So let's read from uh, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek rest or a home for you that you may prosper? And now is not Boaz, with whose maidens you were, our relative. See, he's, a, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Okay, Naomi has a plan, so let's hear the plan. She says, wash and anoint yourself, therefore, and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, notice the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth says to her, all that you say to me, I will do. First of all, I love how uh, Ruth is trusting the wisdom and the advice of an older woman. There's a beautiful scripture in Titus 2, and I, I want to challenge all of us that we can be one of these women too. But it says, let the older women encourage the young women to, be, to tenderly love their husbands and their children, to be sensible, pure, makers of a home where God is honored, good-natured, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Ruth submitted to that. It was like Naomi was speaking words of wisdom to her, and Ruth says, I will do all that you tell me to do. Do you not know that was risky? All right, she's, she's presenting herself to this man whom she had just met. And now uh, we'll see how God uses that. So do you have someone older or someone that you can turn to? I guess in today's language, we can call that a mentor. And I think everybody needs someone that is a good sounding board, someone who you trust that they're hearing from God, that can speak a word to you, speak a word over you, pray for you. Um, I know I have those people in my life, and I would challenge you, too, to see if, you, if God would raise up someone. And sometimes it's just a really good friend. Sometimes it's a, it's a relative. But I would just um, ask God to show you who that safe person is, someone who loves you and who is willing to speak into your life. And I know that God would greatly bless that as well. So here's Ruth showing great humility. But let's tear this apart a little bit. Okay, winnowing at, where is that? at the threshing floor at night. It's like, what do they do 
work 24-7? Well, when the harvest was ready to come in, and obviously the gleaners and the reapers have been, um, you know, gleaning and getting all the uh, barley from the fields. Now they had piles of it. It was time to winnow it. And what they did is they would trample on it to get the chaff, the, the stuff that you can't eat, to get it right down to the, to the uh, usable part of, of the head and the stalks that had just been gathered. And then they actually winnowed, which was a method of separating the chaff from the barley, the edible from the inedible. And they would go, they would do it all night long because the wind was best in the evening. And so uh, Naomi knew exactly where Boaz would be. He'd be winnowing his wheat at night on the threshing floor. And so they would take a big shovel and they'd throw it up in the air and the evening and the night breezes would blow away all the, the wispy stuff and the heavier stuff, the edible part, would fall to the floor. And so they would be winnowing and, and uh, catching the evening breezes and this would go on for most of the night. And since this was their livelihood, the farmer would stay there and guard his pile of barley that he had just winnowed. And so this is such an important duty that the master would do that himself. And they would pretty much do this all night long. So here's Naomi's plan. She says, get dolled up. Look your best. Look good. Smell good. Put on your best clothes. There's nothing wrong with working on the exterior, is there? No, and it's tr you know what's true? You might not like it, but your husband's very visual, all right? And if, if the only time you get fixed up is when you're going out with your girlfriends, that might mean that we're not really placing much importance on maybe uh, showing him our best to honor him. And... I would, just I would just encourage you. Jimmy Evans says, if you want to keep romance alive in your marriage, he says, keep doing the first things. Keep doing the first things. And that goes for both ways. But your husbands aren't here, so I'm going to talk to you. All right? So what did you do before a date? How did you prepare yourself? We were extra nice. You know, we made sure that we were doing, we were showing him our best side. And so I think just with a little bit of encouragement, I think sometimes we can spark some new fires of romance in our own marriages. But Jimmy Evans says, keep it alive by doing the first things. So here's Naomi just giving her some good advice. Go down to the threshing floor. And she said, and, just, and did just as her mother-in-law had told. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. She says, go to the threshing floor, but don't let yourself be made known until he lies down and go uncover his feet and lie down at his feet. And then he will tell you what to do. So that's another kind of a strange thing I researched a bit. Why uncover his feet and why lay down at his feet? That was what Naomi told um, Ruth to do. And it may seem strange, but laying at Boaz's feet was a custom that servants did. And again, this was an act of humility, and she was humbling herself before Boaz. And she, she would lay, uh, servants would lay themselves at the feet of their masters. And in this way, Ruth was indicating her preference for Boaz. And the love of and the willingness to be under the care and provision of Boaz. And the perfuming and dress indicated that she was willing to marry him. 
She, she was sending him a message. And Boaz, being an honorable man, would understand that this was really a marriage proposal. And uh, one explanation was, uh, I like the commentary by uh, Wearsby. He said, four times in this chapter, there's mention of feet. Interesting. It says, Ruth had fallen at the feet of Boaz in response to his gracious words. That happened earlier. And now she was coming to his feet to propose marriage. And she was asking him to obey the law of the kinsman redeemer and take her as his wife. And I think it was risky, wasn't it? She didn't know if he was going to accept this or say no. But you know, what I read that about laying at the feet, humbly laying at the feet of Boaz, I thought of another woman who humbly sat at the feet of Jesus. And the story of Mary and Martha, as it goes, Martha, the sister, was busy, 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 and she was Miss Hospitality. She wanted to make sure that Jesus and his disciples, whole house full of people, were well taken care of. There's nothing wrong with that, but she apparently was getting pretty frustrated and irritated, and she was all caught up in the outward trappings of what was happening where Mary, her sister, was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she was receiving, she was being restored, she was finding words of life. And I can just imagine that she was hanging on every word. But Martha comes to Jesus and says, make her help me. I'm busy. I need her help. Make her get up and help me. Can you imagine talking to Jesus that way? Oh, my. <laughs> but what was Jesus' reply? I believe he was gentle. I believe he was loving. But he says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. I went, uh, those three words were like worried, bothered, and anxious. And I kind of went, Lord, I've got some things that I'm worried and bothered and anxious about right now. I had to be really real. That part of the scripture spoke to me. So what's the answer? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away. Life is busy. We do get worried. We get bothered. We get anxious about things. But Jesus narrows it down to just one thing. One thing that is the most important, the one thing that is necessary in life, and that is sitting at the feet of Jesus. So when you're worried, bothered, and anxious, take some time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Get refreshed, get restored, get re-encouraged. Get filled back up and receive some words of life. So... We need to remember to do the one thing. So as our story continues, let's go on. So Naomi tells Ruth to go and to do this. So this is what Ruth did. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had told her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, we'll just leave that for your own interpretation, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. He was protecting his grain. He'd worked all night long, and he's going to sleep there, as was the custom. But at midnight, the man was startled, and he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. 
And he said, who are you? It must have been dark, right? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. I love this. Spread your wing of protection over your maidservant, for you are next of kin. She was really saying, would you please marry me? <laughs> was she kneeling? No. <laughs> Will you marry me? But the symbol was, spread your wing of protection over me. You know, that is a covering that we have in the covenant of marriage. And she was asking uh, Boaz to do that. For you are next of kin. And he said, blessed be you of the Lord, my daughter. For you have made this last loving kindness greater than the former. For you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter. Okay, so far so good, right? But how is he going to respond to her request? And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do for you all you require. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of strength, worth, bravery, and capability. Oh, man, there's a lot here. So let's talk about what um, his response was to Naomi. Uh, excuse me, Ruth. Um, in other uh, versions of this scripture, what uh, Boaz actually says is, I will do for you all you require for all my people in this city know that you are a woman of virtue. Do you know that Ruth is the only woman named in the Bible with a name and a face called a virtuous woman? And there are many virtuous women that we read about. In fact, one in particular that we read about without a name and a face is the Proverbs 31 woman, isn't it? And she is a woman of virtue. And I, I just want to kind of tear that apart a little bit because Proverbs 31 parallels many of the characteristics, or I should say uh, the, the beautiful fruit that Ruth had in her personality and how she lived her life because she bore this kind of fruit. She was a virtuous woman. And let me just read some of the uh, scriptures from Proverbs 31 who describes this virtuous woman and see if you think it, it matches who Ruth is. A virtuous woman, a capable, intelligent, and virtuous woman. Who is he who can find her? So she is far more precious than jewels, and her value is far above rubies or pearls. The heart of her husband trusts in her confidently and relies on and believes in her securely so that he has no lack of honest gain or need of dishonest spoil. She comforts, encourages, and does him only good as long as there is life within her. She is like the merchant ships loaded with foodstuffs, how many times did she come home loaded with foodstuffs, right? And she had gone out and set her hand to it, and God had prospered the work that she did to provide for her household. She rises while it is yet night and gets spiritual food for her household. She girds herself with strength, spiritual, mental, and physical fitness. <laughs> I'm going to work on that third one there. For her God-given task and makes her arms strong and firm. I've decided I'm going to keep my five-pound um, weights and every commercial when I'm watching TV, I'm going to do these. And, okay? If i got to get my arms strong, then I can, I can work on it. She tastes and sees that her gain from work is good. Her lamp does not go out, but it burns on continually through the night. Okay, Lord, when does she sleep? That's what I want to know. But she, she works continually through the night of trouble or sorrow, warning away fear, doubt, and distrust. 
Her husband is known in the city's gates when he sits among the elders of the land. See, being that virtuous woman also honors your husband. And it can become recognized. Strength and dignity are her clothing and her position is strong and secure. She rejoices over the future, the latter day or the time to come, knowing that she and her family are ready for it. And there is one uh, version of that that says she laughs at the future without fear. And that's what I see with Ruth as well. She opens her mouth in skillful and godly wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. I can't, I, I, I can imagine that Ruth was very kind. We see that in the word. She looks well to how things go in her household, and the bread of idleness, gossip, discontent, and self-pity, she will not eat. We know that Ruth had a lot of reason to just kind of wallow in her very terrible, sad situation, but she chose to not do that, and she picked herself up and declared that I will walk in the favor of God, and she trusted God with her future, and she's beginning to see the harvest of that beautiful seed that she planted. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates of the city. And isn't that what Boaz just said? Everybody here knows that you are a woman of virtue, the way that you've sacrificed to even take care of your mother-in-law, the way that you have uh, left your own family, your own gods, to be here. So back to Ruth. Boaz says to her, it is true that I'm your near kinsman. However, there is someone nearer than I. So the law had stated that the nearest kinsman would have the first opportunity to be that kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman redeemer was allowed to buy back the land that had once belonged to the family. Because land was wealth. Land was their provision. Land was how they provided for themselves. And when Elimelech, <laughs> I can't get my names right. When Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem, they lost their land there. And now the restoration was about to happen through a relative who would agree to buy back that land and restore it back to the family, and it would become part of their wealth. So he's saying... I'm not the nearest kinsman, however. There is a closer relative. And so he just tells Ruth, he says, Remain tonight, and in the morning I will go to this man who is your near, nearer relative, and if he will perform for you the part of a kinsman, good, let him do it. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman for you, then as the Lord lives, I will do the part of that kinsman redeemer for you. And lie down until morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. For he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And it sounds like they're being sneaky. But it's very obvious that this was not a sexual encounter. She did not come and lay at his feet and ask for sex. What she did is she came and she humbled herself and asked for his covering as kinsman redeemer. And like we said, actually asking for him to marry her. And Boaz wanted to protect her reputation. And so he advised her, you should leave before people can see that you were here. Obviously, it was not common for women to show up at the threshing floor. All right. So verse 15 says, also bring the mantle you're wearing and hold it. And he just loaded her up with more barley and sent her home. So 
I think it's wonderful that Ruth and Boaz's hearts were being drawn together. Boaz says, blessed are you that you didn't go after a younger man, whether rich or poor. There must have been an age difference here. And that's okay, too. But what's obvious is that there's also real chemistry happening here. There's an attraction. There's a, a man who wants to take care of her, and he singles her out all before all, any of this happens. They've already had this encounter, and their, their friendship and their relationship had already grown. Um, another version of this verse says... Um, Ruth says to him, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me. And again, this is a picture of a covering that she was asking from Boaz. Uh, actually, we see that same idea in Ezekiel 16, 8, when God spoke regarding Israel. And I just, this scripture really blessed me. It seems so tender. But God is speaking about uh, God's role as a husband for Israel. And he says to Israel, who would then be like Ruth, who is needing this covering, says, Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. And so when Boaz covered her, she wasn't naked, we know that, <laughs> but he covered her, and in a sense he was saying, and now you are mine. He was pledging to her. Let's go on to chapter 4. So Boaz gets up early. He says, I'm going to uh, call the city council together. And they went to sit in the gate. Didn't we not just read that a virtuous woman's husband will be promoted or he'll be looked upon with honor like the elders who sit at the gate. Well, Boaz was one of those men. And he called forth the city council, and in the presence of the city elders, he brought this next of kin in. And I think Boaz was very wise. I want to say clever, but I think more than clever, he was wise. And it presents to this man the opportunity to buy back all of Elimelech's um, land, because he was nearest kin to Ruth and Naomi. And he jumped on it. And actually, he's nameless. He's nameless. We don't even know who this guy was. He's just next of kin. And he said, absolutely, I'll, I'll take the opportunity to redeem the land. But Boaz left out kind of an important detail. He says, and along with buying back the land, that would mean that you agreed to marry Ruth, the Moabitess woman. And then he says, uh, no thanks. And he walked away. But you know what that says to me? Uh, Boaz wanted to make sure that this next of kin would be more interested in loving and taking care of Ruth and Naomi than owning the land. And so it was really a test. And the, he gave him every out. He had, this man had the legal right to buy that land. But now, because Boaz, his heart was to take care of Ruth and Naomi, the land was just secondary. And so in that way, I believe that Boaz showed how he wanted to redeem Ruth, not just redeem the land. And what a beautiful love that he was expressing in this. So now the relative says, nope, you can do it. I, I'm going to walk away from this. And here was the custom. I thought this was kind of funny. And so to seal the deal, this is what they did. The man took off his sandal and gave it to Boaz. So now he's walking around with one sandal. Go figure. But that, that just meant 
this is final. They don't revisit it. And now Boaz was free to do exactly what he told Ruth that he would do. And the people in the gate were there as, um, as witnesses to what had just taken place. And so Boaz says to the elders in the city and to all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's from the hand of Naomi. Also Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to restore the name of the dead to his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his birthplace. You are witnesses this day. And all the people at the gate they celebrated. There was a blessing for this. And they said, we are witnesses. And may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the household of Israel. You know, we've established from the very beginning that Ruth was not a, a, a Jewish woman. She was what they called a foreigner. But these people, she has found such great favor with the people of the, the town of Bethlehem that they are pronouncing this blessing that would normally have only been spoken over people of the Hebrew, um, of the Hebrew race, of, of the Jewish race. And so it becomes a beautiful blessing that they speak over her. May this woman be like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the household of Israel. May you do worthily and get wealth and power in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. Well, Boaz is famous, isn't he? That is a name that we have, uh, that God has elevated to demonstrate how God loves us. And let your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. Everybody blessed this union. It was very obvious that it came from God. And here's the grand finale. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord caused her to conceive, and she bore a son. What had been, what, where she had been barren, God blessed. What had been taken away from her through sickness or whatever it was that happened to her husband and the death of her husband has now been restored with a new husband. And he went into her, and now she is also a mother, which she had never experienced. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without close kinsmen, and may his name be famous in Israel. They had this thing about fame, didn't they? They wanted everybody to know because they knew that Boaz was also um, showing the grace and the glory of God, that the way God would take care. And I, don't you know that this story was handed down and spoken of and was told around uh, dinner tables until we find after many years, Samuel, the prophet, we believe, actually put this into words, into writing, so that we can enjoy it today. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher and supporter in your old age. And these are, this is actually being spoken over Naomi, the mother-in-law. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has born a child. And it says that Naomi even received the blessing to be able to, um, to be with this child and to take care of the child. And they named him Obed. Do you know anybody named Obed? I don't. Okay. So they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse. Who is the father of who? David. David, right. And they're living where? In the town of 
Bethlehem. So do you see how these are the very roots of the lineage that becomes very important? We have two ordinary women. One who was a foreigner, one who had already been a believer and a, and a worshiper of God. But God used these two ordinary women to, to further the plan of God to keep the line that was going to lead from Obed to Jesse, Jesse to David, who is the ancestor of Jesus Christ. And so this wonderful story of Ruth ends in the showing the grace and the mercy of God that he would bless these two, bring them together in the way that he did, restoring to them. Because you know what? Jesus is in the restoration business, and Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Not only was land restored, but relationship was restored. Let's talk about Acts 3, 19 through 21. That word restore just keeps coming back to me. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. God wants to restore things in your own life. He is a restorer of all the promises that he has made. Psalm 103, 1 through 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget all of his benefits, who forgives all of your sins, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. I think that's a beautiful picture of our kinsman redeemer. He says that he wants to bless you. He has benefits for you. He forgives us. He heals us. He redeems us from the pit. We've all been in a pit a time or two, but we don't have to stay there. God wants to lift you out of the pit and redeem your life. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. Because God can turn anything around and reweave it into something beautiful. It wasn't meant for your good. It was meant for your harm. The devil has a way of doing that. And sometimes he uses people in our lives. But God can overcome, reweave, redeem anything that has happened in our past. In fact, when we make it our past and the past is a past at last, and we don't let our past define our future, I believe that God doesn't even remember what your past is. He washes it away because he makes all things new. So don't you live in the past and allow what someone said, what someone did, what you did or didn't do, your regrets. Do you not let that define your future? Let it be the path. Let God redeem it for you and reweave it into something beautiful. And then he crowns you. Come on, ladies. Who wouldn't love to have wear a beautiful crown? He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies you. These are all beautiful things that our kinsman redeemer came to do. And renewing our youth like the eagles. I'll take that one. <laughs> so in the final act, Ruth is restored as a wife. Naomi um, gets to enjoy her offspring again. 
through a son that um, Ruth uh, has. And though they still lost their loved ones, they find comfort and consolation in what God brings into their lives. But their story didn't end there, did it? It, it? it resulted in extending and keeping the bloodline of Jesus Christ in line. And you know, I like to say it this way, women talking about beloved. Ruth loses a beloved, God brings her a beloved, and she becomes a beloved once again. Ladies, I'm just going to ask you to just relax for a moment. If we could just bring the lights down. I would love to end our session together by just looking to Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. And just spend some time just allowing this, these words to be spoken over you. I believe that we can all receive what God wants you to hear this morning. You are his beloved. Will you let him love you today? Can you be loved today? Raise your expectation because I believe that God is going to minister his love to you in a brand new way. This is long. <laughs> it's the best 10 minutes that you're going to spend today. And would you just open your heart and let God minister his love to you through this video. It's called My Beloved. My love, my beauty, you stand in a puddle when I would give you a lake. You dwell in a river when I would give you the oceans of the world. You have yet to hear and to see and to know of the majesty of my love. For you are yet poor in spirit. But I have saved the best till now. I love you as a sacrifice loves the one being saved. Greater love has never been seen. I love you as the king of lovers. I smile over you. My great beauty I have not yet loved you as I would for you have withheld your heart but I have come to overwhelm you to conquer you again. You are helpless against me. You are incapable of denying my passion. For I am the bridegroom and my love is strong as death. Open your heart an inch and I will take a mile. For you can no longer deny my advances. I have come to ravish your heart.
And you, beloved, you're no longer strong enough to resist me. All things hurtful I have dealt with in the blood. All things needful I will pour out over your life. One thing, one thing is necessary. Live at my feet and rest. Let my peace ease your mind. My love calm your heart. Let go. Let go. Let go of the past, the pain, the problem. Turn your back on it as you face me. And you and I together we will face the rest of your life and there will be a new joy and a different peace and a greater rest than you have ever known for the days of fulfillment are upon you that which I have created you for that which I have apprehended you for is fast coming upon you. For these are the days of the bridegroom and the bride. The days of love everlasting. And all that you have passed through, all that you currently endure, it's all for the good because I am coming and many will say yet now the king is coming the king is coming but I tell you there is a day not long hence when your eyes will be opened and you will say the king is here the king is here. And you'll say it in awe, the king is here. You'll say it in wonder, the king is here. For I am coming. And my love will undergird your life. And your heart will be filled again. And all the promises I ever spoke will come true on that day when I come. And I am coming. And I'm coming for you. I'm coming for those who are full. And I'm coming for those who are empty. Coming for those who are tired and weary 
and burned out. For there is a refreshing in the presence of the groom. Because the lover is coming who will touch and refill your heart. For my heart longs for you. Because my heart longs for you, you are able to long for me. But these are days of fulfillment, beloved. Days of dreams coming true and words coming to pass. I have not yet loved you as I would. But I will. Oh, I will. I will. I will. I will love you as you deserve to be loved. I will love you in the way that you were created to be loved. And in that day that you will know, that you will know, that you will know, that you will know, that you, yes you, are the beloved of God. I have not yet loved you as I would. but I will and you will be able to receive it Jesus, that you've been in full pursuit of our hearts today, that you have apprehended us with your love. We want to allow you to love us the way you want to love us. We receive that love, but thank you for loving us with an everlasting love, the kind of love that has no conditions. And we receive that. Father, minister to every heart here. New heights, new depths, lengths and widths of your love today. That each woman here knows she's precious. In your eyes, you treasure her. And you want to lavish your love on each and every one. Thank you that that heals hurts, that heals rejection, that heals things that people have done against us because now we are made full with your love. 
We just receive it by faith. We love because you first loved us.